Welcome to the Rolling Stones Studs, a podcast about the baddest boys of the British invasion. Based, by, based, based on, yes, based on our own lives. It's your host, Pete. And I'm Mick Jagger. Oh, are we not doing a bit where we're going to like, play no, a Stone Just like this week? Pete Best, I'm Pete, the original Rolling Stones uh, harmonica player who was kicked out of the band early on for being too much of a guy not in the Rolling part of the Rolling Stones. <laughs> I was too much not a part of the band, is what I'm yeah. trying to say. They also had the two others, so... Right, well, they had two others, and then there was also the other people who they also kicked out, like their poor piano player so yeah yeah although i wasn't even allowed to drive the van um because i didn't have my um, boys, my boys lorry license at the time uh i was too young i was only a 14 year old they were all about 17 i was i was 14 years old and uh no lorry license for me but um Really, it became a problem because I stopped being allowed in the clubs because around 1963, uh, that's when ID checks became a thing in, you know, those London music clubs. And it really, it cracked down on the amount of underage kids in there sneaking pints from the pub. You know, Lori License is my favorite uh, adult film star. Yeah, she's great, honestly. Yeah. Can't, can't tell she's... 50 years old at this point no say. yeah, yeah she's she, been around for a while but i you know i like the classics yeah that's right from 1990 her heyday <laughs> that's kind of crazy that a 50 year old person would have been what 18 and 19 like 89 that's true is Wait. it yeah no yeah yeah all right, hold on a second years. while we do 1990 some 1990 was 31 years ago. Damn. Yeah, damn is right. I was trying to do, like, a 70s porn star joke, and it was way off <laughs> by saying she was only 50. She'd have to be, like, 70 years old to have been... Which is kind of amazing. To have been in a boogie nights, PJ. In one of the boogie nights. Yeah. You know... I liked that movie, but I didn't care for all of the, like, pornography talk. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been a lot better if it was just about these simple folk living in Los Angeles in the late 1970s, just following Christ, you know? Like, I think yeah. I would have been a lot more intrigued had it been them just as followers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Exactly. I do love the part still, they can keep this in, where William H. Macy kills himself. Yeah, sure. That's great. You know, really... His really, fat I just cock. thought Boogie Nights should have been more like The Master, you know, more religious. Yeah. Because that was a great, just a great movie about religion, you know. I, you know, such I a, agree. And such I'm... a beautiful, <laughs> just sort of a love letter to the idea of religion and the way it works in all our lives, PJ. You know, I'm, I'm just glad that we, as young Christian men, can both agree on this. That's right. Uh, do you want to go to the... Young Men's Christian Association way later with me, PJ? Maybe shoot a little hoops, take a shower together in a shared shower room? Yeah. Spend the night in the same bed? Yeah, why not? I mean, it's yeah. sort of a bunk bed situation, but close enough, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Let's do it. Cool. All it's right. fun to Let's stay there. It. I hear it only costs a nickel for a hot dog at the lunch counter, so... 
Well, welcome to the show. It's been quite the introduction so far. It's starting with me just royally screwing up the intro. Uh, it's not It's not based on our lives. It's hosted by us, and I don't know why I thought the word based was a substitute for host, but... It's because I'm based as fuck. You know, that's true. Really, I just think our energy as hosts at this point is matching the energy the Rolling Stones are putting into recording their albums, so... Yeah, you know, you can't it's nice because really we can try to it on us. next week. Actually, our episode <laughs> next week, our episode will just be bits of old episodes chopped together and then put out as a new episode and hoping people don't notice really that w- mm. you're yeah, giving with me like an idea, one Peter. really great new part at the end or at the beginning. I mean, that people love. Yeah, that'd be I think. Yeah. So we do my rap at the beginning from the Beach Boys Boys mm-hmm. yes. and then. That's it. Perfect. I think so. PJ, I think you'll appreciate this. The other day I was driving. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, no, is this a serious XM talk? Okay. You know, it's not. It's. I wish I remember what song was playing. I was definitely listening to Sirius XM. I know that. But um, so I guess in a roundabout way, any conversation where I was in a car is Sirius XM chat. Uh, oh, hey, actually, speaking of SiriusXM, this is big. Uh, it's the summertime, and you know what that means. Uh, yeah. Say it with me. Oh, okay. <laughs> that means Yacht Rock Radio is back, uh, which is great only because it's essentially a dedicated Steely Dan station. So. You, I, I know how much you love Steely Dan and Yacht Rock. Hmm. No, I wouldn't say that I enjoy any of the other songs they play. It's just good to have a radio station on the uh, on the old dial that uh, every every fourth song is going to be any major dude will tell you. So yeah. Um, um, but I was driving in the car the other day and I saw some graffiti that made me do a double take because <laughs> I thought it said "Bro Choice." <laughs> And I went, what the fuck is that? And then realized it actually said pro-choice. Right. Bro-choices. And then and then I got to thinking how great a bro-choice campaign would be. Oh, dude, that is amazing. Yeah. I I feel like we should get t-shirts. It was made. a real winner. Bro-choice. <laughs> I mean... Not that, not that we're really that far away from that in 2021. I feel like a group of men thinking they don't have enough choice in this world, so you better mm-hmm. give give them some more. But uh, yeah, the idea of bro choice, pro choice. I'm pro bro choice. I'm also a bro who's pro choice. That's I've I've heard that about whatever you, you want to do there. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I'm just like I'm hanging out with my bros, you know, cracking brewskis. Just throwing the ball around in the yard. Always. Uh, you know, slapping each other on our butts. And then also just, you know, talking feminism and really how we should advance um, culture for everybody. Uh, you know, not just not just men. So it's good stuff, you know. I feel like we get pretty far in those conversations. We really, we go back to our wives and it's like. You hate them even more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, Pete, how the hell are you besides uh, talking bro choice? Oh, I'm great, man. You know me, PJ. I'm just floating along life's old, grand old highway here. You're going to a Dodgers game later. That's pretty cool. 
I'm going to go, you know what? I'm going to go dodge some trolley cars and uh, try not to get, try not to get my shins whacked. And then uh, after I do that, I'm going to, I think I'm just going to take a run through a subway tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice and- because it's been pretty warm lately. So like you get that humidity underground and then it's really like, it's the idea of hot yoga, but it's, you know, hot hot jogging yeah so i like really, to grow my mushrooms like you're jogging in a sauna i like to grow my mushrooms underground at this uh, oh, sure. time of year yeah in yeah the they love the lack of sunlight mostly mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you know that really makes the psychedelic experience i hear stronger psychedelic uh yeah speaking of psychedelic mushrooms again on this show for like the fourth time um the stronger ones are the ones with with no sunlight i hear yeah. I I was talking about morels, but um Oh, you're just growing morels. Yeah. Nice. People keep some truffles. What do you go you'd bring those to like the the back door of a restaurant and sell them straight to the chef? Yeah, well, usually I sell them to like the kids uh who like you know, take out the trash and all that shit. Um I don't know why they like them so much. Uh That's weird. Yeah. yeah. They give me a good price for them. I don't know. Yeah, Better how than much morels. you make on those mushrooms? Hundred dollars a gram. <laughs> Jesus, that yeah, is really, that is a really good price. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Yeah, the the morels I'm growing also don't really look like morels. No. So you know maybe I'm doing it wrong, but they seem to love them. Oh yeah, of course. Peter. Is a hundred dollars a gram a lot for mushrooms? I don't really know. I don't know either. Um, no, I mean I think it depends because some mushrooms are like really, really rare or uh, expensive. I forget what uh. it's called, but there is a certain type of mushroom. It's not truffles, but it's something like that where it is like insanely expensive to buy them. But um, I don't remember. I was making a magic mushrooms joke. I know. Well, it's funny. I guess. Thank you. Well, thank you. Okay. Uh, the world's most expensive fungus from the British Broadcasting Corporation, our home news source, as Rolling Stone studs uh, hosts. Um, this is not really helpful at all. Okay. You know what, BBC? Fuck off. You love Big Black Clock. Uh okay, the most expensive. Come on, two thousand dollars an ounce for the Yartsa Gunbu mushrooms, which are a Tibetan mushroom, and it's an aphrodisiac. That sounds like an Italian slur. What was the name of that mushroom again? Yeah. European white truffles, fifteen hundred dollars to four thousand dollars per pound, depending on the harvest. Japanese matsutake mushrooms are a thousand dollars to two thousand dollars a pound. So you're, I would say, hundred dollars a, a gram. You said, like, you're right in there. Yeah. You know. Okay. That makes sense. You're not overcharging anybody. Well, that's good. Um. I I just want to give those nice young men a good price. You know. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. You're really just kind of doing the local community a service. I would say. 
And this has been Mushroom Talk. And then I'll put in some of that shitty psychedelic music they made. They have a song? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, speaking of uh, theme songs, you want to do a little Rolling Stones? Uh, oh. Rolling Stones, oh, who's... new name. Yeah, here. Let's play the music and then... Okay. We have a new name for our segment. I don't hate it. All right. Time for Rolling Stones. (laughs) Who'd you bone? All right. Rolling Stones. Who would you bone? The new name for our uh, Hot or Not segment that uh, PJ just came up with about, we were talking about two thirds of the way through this, uh, through this run. So we get to use it for a little while, but you know, I think it's well-timed PJ because everyone knows like a fine wine the Rolling Stones are only going to be more fuckable as they age. Absolutely. Um, the deeper the creases, the harder the cock. The more to fuck. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, too. That, too. Just kind of like that. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, you got to give me a second. Kind of like Lori License, you know? Just yeah. she, got, she got better as she aged, as we all know. God. The older the berry, the sweeter the juice. That's what I always say. Once that starts like rotting and it's like really past its prime, like that's so sweet. All right, so our uh, photo this week. Let me uh, send it to you. I should have done that before we started. There's our who would you bone photo for this week. So it's the Rolling Stones in 1980 with wow. our new lineup. This is why we got to uh, to play the game again because we have a new lineup with our our new man Ronald Donald Wood, and then the. Uh, the four remaining original members, uh, obviously, with Keith, Mick, Charlie, and Bill. All, I think Bill's in his, like, early 40s at this point, and then everyone else is, like, 37, 38-ish, so. Damn, they look old for 37, 38. I mean, at least three of the five we know for a fact were doing way too many drugs for the entire that's, decade of the 70s, so. That's true, yeah. That's gonna That's going to mean something. Um, so they're all in front of a, a blank wall here and just lined up. We're going to, I guess let's go from left to right. First, we got Keith, who is the only one with his back turned. He's doing, (laughs) he's doing a sexy little pose. He is. He's got his butt stuck out and then his head's looking over his shoulder (laughs) and he's got his arm like up on the wall. And then the other hand is on Ronald's, uh, shoulder. It's really truly kind of an odd pose but i i think just no question or really even debate no i would not bone that man no <laughs> um even, even though he's context. presenting to me i would still <laughs> yeah. not yeah there's something about like a very pale person with like he's got the dark hair and like the eye shadow going on and then like a weird five o'clock shadow and it's just i don't know none of it we've already talked about how his haircut from this era does nothing for me but he doesn't look particularly uh healthy no there's <laughs> he, he looks like he's in his 50s and he's like 36 yeah. you said yeah. yeah something like that so no thanks apparently the heroin will really take it out of you yeah who knew not I. 
so next we have Ronald Donald Wood, um, our new our new man on campus. He is wearing a very 1980. It actually kind of feels like it could be later 80s, just because he's got like a yeah. weird skinny tie on. But he's got a he has skinny like a tie black and white backwards. Yeah, window pane shirt. Yeah, and then a black and white polka dot tie. And and the biggest hoop earring. Ever. Some giant hoop earrings. He's copied Keith's haircut, which I'm pretty sure he kind of always has the same haircut as Keith, right? Like it seems like the 80s yeah. and 90s. Yeah. Um, and you know what? I mean, I guess our listeners don't know this, but I have never found Ron Wood to be an attractive man. So I'm, no, I gotta, once again, just go. No, thank you. Yeah, it's a not for me too. Um, he just also looks like he's in his 50s, and. Yeah. He looks like a skeleton. Like, he's a human man with skin, yeah. but he looks like a skeleton. He's got some very sunken cheeks happening. Yeah. You know, he is one of those interesting people where I think growing up, I didn't realize that he wasn't always in the Rolling Stones because he just looks so much like Keith to me that it always That's just fair. kind of felt like it made sense that he was a Rolling Stone. Yeah. Um. And so, but apparently what's interesting, I guess, is that it's been that way since he joined the band because... He and Keith look like they could, like, almost be brothers. I feel like just because they yeah. have the same haircut, kind of the same sunken faces, and yeah, yeah. Once again, the heron will do that to you. It'll make you look like twins. <laughs> so next, we have probably the the healthiest looking person, at least have, just because he has a little yeah. bit of a tan going on. Um, but next we have Mick, who Where? is all white outfit oh, go ahead uh mm-hmm. white dress pants yeah, he's got like a white v-neck a deep v-neck t-shirt yeah. tucked into some white pleated pants uh which good look for him i feel yep. like his outfit is the most on point here and uh although <laughs> it does look like his shirt is stained which is really funny it's got a couple is, like brown yeah. spots on it which is really odd but hilarious and he just kind of has his normal mick haircut he looks he yeah. looks old as shit too i mean i know late 30s isn't young necessarily like it is when you start to get some lines on your face and stuff but he's looking a lot older than the last time we checked in with the band yeah um but his his outfit is the less less least dated one like if i saw somebody yeah, wearing that true. now i'd be like oh that's yeah either him or bill that weird. maybe yeah um uh, no not bill i mean mick this is Maybe gonna be a little weird. Mick is almost always a uh, a hot or a uh, wood. He's bone a bone for me. He's a bone. Yeah, I agree. I, you know what? I He's got think a handsome just little face. Purely in comparison, he is a bone. In a vacuum, I don't know if this this specific Mick would be, but if really, yeah. if you're choosing one out of the lineup, I think he's a clear cut winner. So. Oh, absolutely. The rest of them look like absolute shit. <laughs> mostly i don't know what to say but those pleats on those pants are doing it for me man i could i could see my my hands getting (laughs) getting lost in those folds (laughs) run your fingers up them that's right yeah okay and then so next to him we have charlie uh who for some reason is dressed like a banker (laughs) from the hair down to the down to the toes uh his hair is starting to gray a little bit which looks very distinguished on him but he's just got it all slicked straight back in a very 80s like um american psycho almost yeah Yeah. like 80s businessman look 
and then Only he's got a wearing white button a watch. up and a tie. Uh, yeah. Well, he and Bill have watches, but um, does Bill have a watch? I do feel like yeah. Oh, he I does. Feel like that says I was not about, getting the um, whole picture. Being a rock star versus, <laughs> I feel like it's not very rock star to wear a watch. So it, I feel like it says something about the fact that they're the only two members. Yeah. Uh, my photo was super zoomed in. Um, oh, sorry I, about I, that. No, 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 it wasn't your fault. I could only see him from the torso up. I was oh, zoomed, zoomed in on my browser. Got it. Um, on accident. Um, but now and I'm then the whole he has view. like, he has like gray uh, slacks. slacks on. Um, and yes, just very much looks like a dad headed out to go work at the uh, the office. So yeah. Um, but I will say. He looks good. It's just he does. it's he a looks... little too like '80s power broker look for me to be attracted to it. But yeah. like, I love the the touch of gray is very a very nice look on Charlie. Ah, my favorite Grateful Dead song. Um, you know, yeah he he looks the second he looks the best here probably I should say like yes. he looks the most put together. Mm-hmm. But as far as attractiveness goes, this might spoil a little something later on. He's second in my book. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a, you know, I would not bone, but no. I also he's clearly a step above the 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 Keith and, and Ron. The heroin twins. Step. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. A lot of twins. So we have the glimmer. It's. It's a five-person band with three sets of twins. We got the Glimmer twins, of course. There's oh, such glimmer. They glimmer so much. The, the heroin the twins. Glimmer, the glimmer. Uh, and then we got the watch twins over there on the right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, and then, so then we got Bill, uh, who's kind of dressed like no one told him it was picture day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like his hair is not doesn't look like it's done i mean that's i think the haircut he's going for but it kind of just looks like he woke up threw on the sweater that was at the foot of his bed and walked in Uh, yeah um he has like a gray uh little half zip sweater thing on and some pants and a yeah a watch on as well i mean he looks fine he just definitely looks like uh an old man for sure oh absolutely and his hair kind of like a sweater but his sweater's fine. His hair is awful. His hair is really bad. He, like, we were kind of joking a few episodes ago about rock stars in the 80s getting, like, old man haircuts and stuff. Yeah. Um, And how lame that was a lot of times. But Bill is someone who, like, he should have gone for uh the Don Henley haircut by now, I think. Like, he should not have kept hmm. the, the 70s hair because his long hair has never really looked that good. I want to see. I want to see Bill with just like a normal crew cut. Yeah, that would be. I mean, it would be weird because he's always like weird. had really shitty bad hair. I feel like. <laughs> so, that's a Rolling Stone. Who would you buy? And you know what? Like, uh, w- what's interesting is that with the Beach Boys, it did kind of change era to era in terms of like. Some of them, as they aged, became more attractive. Some became less attractive, like different people at different points in time. Yeah. Um, with different looks, like at a couple points, even Mike Love with a beard was like kind of a good-looking guy. Um, mm-hmm. but the Rolling Stones has really stayed pat through this whole thing. Where like, 
I mean, early on, Keith was like hot a couple times, but in general, it feels like every time we do a, a hot or not with them, it's kind of the same, the same deal. Yeah. I mean, it's a little weird. It's a little, you know, it's a little disappointing. You know, good looks are timeless. It's timeless. It's also like for being a band for so long, they do not change up their look very much. Like in a general sense, like Charlie in the early 70s definitely had like different hair because he grew it out really long. Yeah. But aside from him, pretty much all of them have had the same general look since 1964. That's true. Yeah. I mean, like they're um, still just doing the long hair, or at least since the late '60s when they started kind of wearing some makeup and more jewelry and stuff, and like, um, yeah, they they all just kind of look similar. No one's no one's grown a beard. No one's experimented with like different haircuts, really, or like, yeah. Yeah, and like, it could be you could say during this era in rock and roll history, um, everybody looks the same all the time, kind of. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, Joe maybe, P- but then if, this is like, this is the era when Carl ascended to being the hottest man alive from like, no, I, 1978 see, to 1985. So I, I'm speaking of the Rolling Stones specifically. Oh, yes. Gotcha. Like, gotcha. if you threw Joe Perry from Aerosmith in the Rolling Stones, I wouldn't notice a difference. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He is another one where it's like, how does he look the exact same as like, yeah. It's very odd. I wonder. I wonder if it's one of those things where, like, they didn't even mean to choose Ron Wood because of this, but just subconsciously they were like, he just looks like one of us, right? Yeah. (laughs) And that's why. Like, those other guitarists that they tried out who we were like, oh, they're all really good, like, on their their tracks from uh, Black and Blue. But they were like, oh, they're like, you know, they just don't look like weird drugged-out pirates. So are they allowed in the band? I don't know. Oh, PJ, yeah. what's going on? <laughs> I, they're dragging the chairs. There. Yeah, they're dragging <laughs> chairs across the floor upstairs, huh. which is not a that thing we do. I don't know why. Yeah. You know, getting ready for, uh, you know, we're recording on a Sunday morning. They're probably getting ready for church. Yeah. Yeah. Now that, uh, thank God, we're allowed to praise in person again. Yeah. Yeah, they see they they're still afraid um, because they think they, they see they were fine with COVID. But now that the vaccine's out, they're afraid that uh, somebody's going to get them with the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Is, this yeah, this is their words running with a needle. Yeah. So they've been they've been watching um, watching it online now before they would knock yeah. on the church every Sunday and say, let me in. But now that the yeah. vaccine's out, they're scared and makes them blame them. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, and as we all know, PJ, the only the best defense against a bad guy with a vaccine is a good guy with a gun. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So they they watch it online upstairs, yeah. and they have uh, yeah. they like to set it up like it's their church. They move all That's the pews nice. around in their apartment. Yeah. Pew pew. It's a gun noise. Like Florence. So that has been hot or not, or. Rolling Stones, Stones. who'd you bone? All right. All right. Well, PJ, let's get into a little bit of the Rolling Stones' personal lives. Why don't we do that? It's been a a little while since we've checked in with the boys. Uh, I feel like the last time maybe was when Mick and Bianca got married. Um, Mm -hmm. Or maybe, I don't know. I don't remember. 
honestly. But it feels like it's been a bit since we've kind of caught up with what's going on in their lives. So really, uh, mostly stuff is just going on with Mick and Keith as, a, mm-hmm. as is to be expected. Right. Uh, Charlie right. is doing nothing. Uh, he never Bill does. Bill is fucking groupies. Actually, real quick, a real little quick. preview for the next. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, please, please. Do you think that the only two people in the band with watches, the watch twins, um, mm-hmm. are Bill and Charlie? Is that so? Because they're the rhythm section? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yes. Yeah, sure. PJ. So they can I keep think time? it's obvious that it's because they have to keep time. Yeah. It makes sense. Uh, I, I just like realized an idiot that. for missing that joke earlier. Thank you for making sure that that happened. Um, so a little preview for our next couple episodes. Uh, Charlie and Bill do get into a little bit of a, a little bit of naughty trouble later in the eighties, but as yeah. of the late seventies, right now we really just have uh, some Mick and Keith updates. So, um, so Mick and Bianca, who we'll hear about a little bit on this album, but Mick and Bianca separated actually back in 1977. Okay. Um, after he'd been canoodling for really most of their marriage, probably since the minute they were married, knowing Mick. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. But like, like he did with all of his previous relationships, he like had famous tabloid, he like, cheated in the tabloids it's very odd how out in the open it all is um yeah like famously he was you know seen out in public a bunch and was in private fucking uh, a playboy mm-hmm. model for from for three years from 1974 to 1976 it was like a known fact that is um, quite some time yeah so they officially separated in 1977 and then divorced in 1978 um Bianca divorced him on the grounds of adultery. Makes sense. And then uh, right before that, in 77, Mick moved in with Jerry Hall, a different model than the Playboy model, but a different model, uh, who then he ended up staying. I don't think they got married, but they ended up staying together for over 20 years. So that turned into a long-term relationship for him. That's crazy. Um, So yeah, Bianca's officially... uh, out of the, the picture, picture in his personal life but she will come up as the theme for like two or three songs at least i think on emotional rescue so of course well that's why it's called that i think someone's moving in my apartment too is it the church people <laughs> yeah they're over here now just moving chairs um so keith and then uh some stuff with keith he and anita um pallenberg finally separate in 1979 longer after, than i expected yeah after what like 13 12 or 13 years together i forget exactly yeah. when he stole her away from brian's fists um so <laughs> so they separate in 1979 uh that same year keith met patty hansen who he ends up marrying i think sometime in the 80s and then stays together with for a really long time um so anyway so that happens in 79 also in 79 i think unrelated to them separating well kind of because it involves anita sleeping with another person but as far as i can glean from keith and anita's relationship they were pretty open like they threw their because they were never technically married and they had a pretty uh a pretty hippie idea of you know open open love free love yeah um so there was some uh 
drama in 1979, a uh, groundskeeper at Keith's house in New York, Keith's uh, New York State house. I could not have said that more weirdly. Keith's New York State, State in New York State, like not in New York City, is all I'm trying to say. Oh, Keith's estate in the New York State. Yeah, he has like, yeah. Anyway. A groundskeeper at his Manhattan apartment who just took care of the grounds outside the apartment, you know, would like sweep the sidewalk for him. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so there's a groundskeeper who shot himself in their house. So oh. the story, so first of all, this kid was named Scott Cantrell. He was 17 at the time. Um, and he was... I think supposedly, I think it's unconfirmed exactly, but supposedly he and Anita were sleeping together. Ah. Um, and he shot himself in their bed at the house with Keith's gun. Oh. And when the police came, Anita called the police. They came. She was arrested. She was never charged with anything. They ruled it a suicide. Um figuring out or you know deciding that she was in a different part of the house when it happened but apparently there was a rumor then that's kind of persisted uh that they were actually playing russian roulette together so it wasn't i mean it still wasn't her fault exactly but more than just him committing suicide so that kind of was a weird uh uh Let's reduce this kid's be- death to uh, saying that it was a weird moment for the band. I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> but that was like, you know, in the news and was kind of a, you know, a, a yeah. story around Keith for a little while. Um, but yeah, I think he and Anita, I couldn't find exactly why they why they separated. I do not think it was like her cheating on him kind of thing. I think it was more just they were, yeah, they were done, like. They were never married. I don't think they were expecting to be together for forever, kind of. 12 years is a lot, you know? Yeah. Uh, And then we're also starting to get into some some tension uh, between Mick and Keith. Ooh, uh, the beginning. Which is very famous. Yeah, a very famous period in the Stones history. And so we have a little bit of beginning of it. One of the songs on this album is supposedly about, you know, Mick and Keith not getting along. Um lyrically yeah and according to keith part of the tension between them starts after so we talked in some girls about his arrest in toronto for heroin possession yeah and having to figure all that out he apparently like after that gets cleared up he's trying to like kind of clean himself up um and reinvest himself in the band Mm -hmm. and Apparently, part of the tension starts with Mick kind of keeping him at arm's length because Mick has been through some girls, um, through the some girls era, like leading the band. And like, as mm-hmm. we know, on some girls, he did a lot of the songwriting and production and everything. And right. is, uh, you know, I don't think it's unfair to say that Mick really needs uh, control <laughs> over his yeah. situation. So even when it comes to Keith, he's he was apparently pretty wary when Keith was like trying to get back into to kind of sharing the the load of the band, and so Keith mm-hmm. was getting frustrated with that. And one of the songs today will be about that. So, okay, yeah. 
Although I think, I mean, their relationship, I think, gets much more, like, fractured later in the 80s where they're, like, aren't speaking and stuff. But that's some right. some first hints of that. So, yeah. yeah. So that all leads up to the release of Emotional Rescue, which was recorded. It came out in 1980, recorded mostly in 79, I believe, in the Bahamas. Uh, right. Another prolific period from them, which I think... We talked about, they've had a lot of those where like, I feel like we keep talking about albums where they've supposedly recorded a bunch of extra songs that will show up on Tattoo You. So yeah. when we get to Tattoo You, we'll see, is like Start Me Up the only original track on that? Because like Goat's Head Soup, Black and Blue, and I think Some Girls in Emotional Rescue, we've all, like they've all been mentioned Devol- as like yeah. periods where they wrote a bunch of extra songs. So, um, so we'll see how that works. Uh, at least with Emotional Rescue, I'm surprised they thought they had more than 10 good songs here. Yeah, that is shocking. There was like a line in the Wikipedia that was like, the original album had like over 20 songs on it, but the band cut it down to like, to 10 for release. And it's like, okay, all right. Do you say so? That's always, that always is interesting to me when bands like, I mean, it's not the band bragging about it, but when, like, that's a clear uh, thing about an album, when they're like, we had so many songs, and you're like, but then if there's, like, some bad songs, yeah, I don't I don't think you want to share that as a band, generally. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's better to think that these are the only 10 you could come up with than to be like, you had 40 songs, and these are the yeah. 12 you <laughs> chose, or These whatever, are the 12, you know? yeah. These were, I feel these like that happens a lot crop? with new new albums I read about where like people um like newer indie bands and stuff will brag about I mean, like oh we recorded over 70 tracks and you're like okay but like I don't like 3 of the songs on this album so like that does not make <laughs> it seem impressive. Well and like now you can record a song in like 20 minutes like a fully yeah, produced song tr- like it's you can hard. edit stuff like, so quickly yeah yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, Emotional Rescue did bring back some of their uh, collaborators after some girls uh, stripped it back. So Bobby Keys shows up again on this album. We have Ian Stewart and Nikki Hopkins coming back to lend their uh, their fingers to the record. Yeah, And then uh, Sugar Blue, who is their harmonica player who was on a couple some girls tracks, uh, Mm -hmm. also shows up on this album. Okay. So... Yeah. Um let's see. The album cover was is like pictures of the band uh shot with a thermal camera. Yeah. And then is like that? the the inside pictures and stuff are more of that. Like it's all just thermal camera shots. It's fine. It yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what it was, and you saying that was the most interesting part of it. It's like, it's one of those album covers, kind of like, um, like, Octoon Baby is one of those for me, too, where, like, at the time, I feel like it was supposed to be, like, such a cool, like, advanced process or, like, such a crazy idea, but now that Mm. in the digital age, like, you can do that stuff very easily, it just feels a lot less interesting. Like, just purely taking a photo a certain way is, like, much less cool than 
Yeah. Also, the Octune Baby yeah. album cover is fucking awful. So, I agree, but it's like a very famous one. So, is it? Anyway. I've never seen it before, yeah. and I hate it. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I just is, am it I thinking of the right one? It's like a tiled thing of a bunch of different pictures. Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking of a different one, but because, yeah, that's just kind of a collage, which I generally hate collage album covers. I really like Exile, but that's the only one. I know. I, I don't know. Exile's fine. It's not it's nothing special, though. Like I like I like the bold, simple ones more like a goat's head soup where it's just like a very striking, simple image or like. a Yeah. Anyway um you love the white so that's the album cover it's fine (laughs) no because they're well i mean the the poster included for that (laughs) back in my record digging days which now this needs to apparently be a segment on this podcast too but it was like a thing that i really wanted to find a copy of the white album with the poster or i guess just the poster separately but because it seemed really cool to me that first of all that they did do a poster in like 68 because that was kind of early for like it was more of a 70s and 80s thing to do um inserts in an album like that yeah and then um so it was just cool that they did it and then it was also the only time the beatles did i think any insert kind of stuff for their albums Mm -hmm. um and then like years and years it took me to then find a poster and then i was so disappointed when i saw it because it was so lame because it's just a collage yeah it's not a great yeah no it's like a it's a really crappy poster (laughs) yeah it's very my favorite it's very my favorite record insert is the george harrison one oh yeah must pass it's a a great one that's a really great one uh my favorite one um boy that's a good question my favorite you like one, that Wings that one, right? I own. Yeah. My favorite one that I own would have been probably. God, the All Things Must Pass one is cool. Probably the Dark Side of the Moon one, but not the Pyramid one, like just the one of the band. I really like oh, that okay. one a lot. Okay. Yeah. That was on my wall for like all of college. I remember and, that. And after. Yeah, that's and the right one that I now. think never came down. The wings, the wings across America one was cool though too. So yeah, I don't know. Okay, okay. Uh, so the first single off Emotional Rescue was Emotional Rescue. Makes sense. Uh, which went to number three in the U.S. and number nine in the U.K. And then the second single was She's So Cold, uh, which went to number twenty-six in the U.S. and number thirty-three in the U.K. And then uh, the album itself went to number one in both countries. How? Which I need to check. I feel like maybe except Black and Blue, have they only had number one albums for like basically their entire run since like the I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, which is kind of nuts because like as we've talked about, I mean, they're still one of the biggest bands in the world, obviously, but yeah. It's kind of crazy that they've been like that consistent just because not all of these albums obviously have been particularly great. So, yeah. 
I mean, usually people, especially back in the day, would buy the album before they would know anything about it necessarily. So, nope, Black and Blue went number one in the U.S. That's uh, right. And Some Girls, although both of those went number two in the U.K., but yeah, there are a lot of number one in the U.S., number two in the U.K. through the 70s, but it's only Rock and Roll was number one. Goat's Head Soup was number one. Yeah, they really uh, are on a roll here, which is pretty nuts. And this is back in the day when, you know, topping the album charts was still a huge deal. Right. Yeah, nobody cares about that anymore. Yeah, because exactly. everybody Now if you just if release an album, you can top the album charts. Yeah. It's like how every author seems to be a New York Times bestselling author. <laughs> it's, yeah. It does seem like it gets easier and easier. Yeah, that's pretty nuts, honestly, that through 1980, they still, every album was still a number one album. Yeah, that is wild. I guess good for them. (laughs) (laughs) Is it? Yeah. So, yeah, you want to uh, get into the track by track, PJ? I would love to get into the track by track. Let's do it. Uh, First song, we have Dance, parentheses, part one. what you done um i'm ready to say right now favorite song on the album and i really like this song (laughs) see it is my favorite song on the album yeah and i don't love it yeah it's i don't really know because it's very similar to like i feel like a lot of recent songs that i have not liked by the rolling stones Mm -hmm. like this definitely feels like it could have been a black and blue song that we just hated but yeah it's it's really nice like it's got a good groove to it the guitar is good just kind of everything about it is working for me here and even yeah like the weird spoken word stuff at the beginning is just it's just fun it's cool yeah that's yeah i mean i think i don't think it's bad um i just don't love it I mean, fair. Um, yeah, it. Uh, you're right about it seeming like a black and blue song, um, but like, it's not as good as like the, their disco-y kind of stuff on that either. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So this one was co-written by. Uh, Mr. Ronald Donald Wood uh, jamming in the studio with Mick. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's just weird and very loose, but compelling for a reason that I, I can't quite put my finger on, but I do enjoy it. Okay, okay. The bass is really good on it. That can't be Bill, right? Hmm. I guess let me check, but I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, no, it's not. It is uh Ronald Donald. 
Of course it is. Yeah, good job. All right, next song, Summer Romance. song is boring uh, yeah it's a very what would you call it? like boilerplate kind of rolling stone song for sure just this straight like, blues blues kind of rave up but um i i don't hate it like the lyrics are kind of fun and dumb and it's like not bad to listen to i mean this is like the version of the bass rolling stone song that they have on every single album starting from like goat's head soup right um like that's like silver train it's only rock and roll they have dance little sister like just every album now they have like this song on it just with different lyrics and a slightly different chuck berry riff yeah um but it's not unenjoyable i guess it's not the worst thing it's just boring yeah true and like just uninspired i don't know yeah i will say i actually feel like i noticed it a little less on this album but i don't think i brought it up on some girls we've talked a little bit about like you know hearing both rolling stones guitarists play together and how like with brian and keith we couldn't hear a lot of like I don't know, interesting dual guitar action with Mick and Keith. Obviously we could, although it felt like they traded off more, but with Ron and Keith, I actually do hear and enjoy the, like both of them playing together the entire time. Like on some girls, there were a few tracks where they were like both doing riffs at the same time and like one in each year. And it's good shit when it works and like definitely elevates even these kind of bass Rolling Stone songs where like, Right. You have these two different guitar players both like noodling around in sync and separately. Mm-hmm. It's good shit. It still obviously hasn't made them like <laughs> it, it doesn't save bad songwriting, but you know. But it, it it makes it slightly better, is that Yeah, exactly. So Okay. I see like right. I see what you're saying and I don't think I think you're probably right, yeah. Yeah. All right, get to uh, send it to send me. Send it to me. Oh, this is our new uh, mail time song. It should be. Yes. Yeah. Another, uh, this must be a goat's head soup outtake. (laughs) You know? uh, Oh, so first of all, uh, this is featuring Sugar Blue again on harmonica here. And uh, written, apparently, by Mick and Charlie screwing around in the studio. Huh. And the original version was around 12 minutes long with around 19 to 20 verses according to one of the engineers who then cut it down to the the song on the album um 
I don't hate this and kind of like it. Mostly it's just weird that I think I'm now three for three on enjoying the Rolling Stones doing reggae. <laughs> that is pretty crazy. From, um, from Luxury to uh, whatever the song was off Black and Blue, Cherry Oh Cherry, and then this yeah. one, like, I kind of like them. It's, it's fun. Here's the thing. I don't think they're bad either. Um, yeah. I just think, like, it's weird that they're – just make a whole album of it if you're going to do it, dog. Like <laughs> – I mean, it's weird when they do yeah. like the Rolling Stone stuff and then it's like a reggae yeah. song, you know? I do feel like, aside from Luxury, uh, which is uh, like just straight up a pretty good song, um, I feel like aside from that, I more just like it because it breaks up these kind of meh albums that are full of like just very bass Rolling Stones, like blues songs mm-hmm. or, or just songs yeah. that are total misses, or it's like even a fine reggae track. It just it breaks it up enough that I feel like I yeah. like it. So. Okay. I almost, and here's another crazy opinion, especially on Emotional Rescue where, you know, they could get rid of a lot of songs here. Part of me kind of wishes they just leaned into it and put the like 12 minute version on. No. As like, they could have just done it as like the last song on side one, you know? Because it probably, yeah. here's the thing, I it, I don't think it would have been better, but it wouldn't, I don't think it would have been worse than this song. Like, I wouldn't have disliked it more. And then just purely for the weirdness of it, I think I would have appreciated them throwing a 12 minute reggae song right. on an album. Like, Especially if they, like, threw a couple more guitar solos in there through the 12 minutes, you know, like, it would have been. Yeah. This part's very dumb, though. This part's very dumb. Imagine how many more dumb things would be in a 12-minute version. Yeah. Mick, this album, I think on, like, three or four songs, does spoken word stuff, and it's bad every time, but it's weird that it's a thing he just got into on this album. Yeah. His dance part one on this, and then I think Indian Girl, and then on Emotional Rescue, like he has some little spoken word stuff. So, yeah, um, it is weird. Like you would think with, I don't know, with their genre, it wouldn't lend itself to that. <laughs> but he seems to Very think so. Very odd. Yeah. Uh, now we've got. Uh, whoop. Um, let me go. This sounds like their early stuff. Yeah, I um, I actually like this song quite a bit. I like this song. Yeah, yeah. I think the sleigh bells are a fun touch. It's got a nice rhythm to it. I like the like palm muted guitar that's happening. Yeah. This is probably the best like straight rock song on this album. I would. I say, think so maybe. too. And it's pretty mellow for like being the Stones doing a rock yeah. song, you know. Yeah. Which I don't know technically, but I assume this is about Bianca, right? Gotta be. I mean, it has to be. <laughs> yeah. Although it could be about Keith and Anita, I guess. But uh, as far as I know, Keith really only did lyrics for one song here. So. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think their whole thing is Mick does most of the lyrics, right? Right. Right. Yeah, it's good, and, like, it's kind of got a little catchiness to it. Yeah. 
not bad. It ain't, not bad, it ain't bad. We also uh, have some pedal steel from Ronald on this song. Wow, Ronald is credited with saxophone on Dance Part 1. I missed that somehow. Huh. When putting in my notes, I had no idea he uh, <laughs> he played the old woodwind. Um, yeah, no, this is pre- uh, pretty good. I like this. I take it back. Dance Part One is not the best song. On it. Let me go. Is <laughs> oh, I don't think this is better than Dance Part One, but I do. I think honestly, it's weirdly the sleigh bells are what it is. Like if the sleigh bells weren't on this song, I think I would be meh. Who cares? But they really somehow make it like fun and interesting to me. Shows how much yeah. of a Brian Wilson fan I am, I guess. Yeah, you fucking nerd. Uh, all right, Indian Girl, which mm. I don't know about that. Indian Girl. I don't know why, but like every time I heard this song, the intro was like, "All right, all right," and then as soon as it like really kicks into like the kind of flamenco beat thing it just seems so ridiculous yeah it's just such a dumb song like it could have been good yeah and then like the subject matter as well as like yeah the the weird dumb flamenco thing it's the rolling stones get rid of that marimba too i hate that I feel like maybe they've I feel like they've always had a little bit of this but the Rolling Stones are definitely in an era now where it just feels like they only make the obvious decision yeah and this song is a great example of like okay so we need a we we have a ballad Mick is wanting to write it about Mm -hmm. um, Civil War in Central America this is a Bianca influenced one because she did a lot of like aid relief in Nicaragua um during the 70s yeah so it's definitely influenced by that and so they're like cool let's do this ballad about it it's about central america let's throw some latin horns in there man let's get some marimba on like you know it's just it's so the only obvious choice and they just lean into it and it's it's not good yeah (laughs) Yeah, this this song's pretty bad. I mean, I guess lyrically it's nice that they're like trying to write about a you know like important important thing, but it's just yeah. heavy-handed and and comes off pretty stupid. Yeah, it's pretty dumb. Um, didn't care for it. No. Where the boys go? What is this a, a question or a statement or like what's the where the boys go yeah oh we're naked um yeah so what's interesting on this song oh i can't tell if i'm supposed to actually pause or just keep talking while he walks away he's just having to go like answer a question or something hmm We'll just keep listening to where the boys go in case he does come back and doesn't want to edit this out, which is what I'm assuming will happen. So I'll just keep talking about, um, like, some girls has the reputation for being their punk album, quote-unquote. 
which I feel like we didn't hear a lot, except that they maybe just sped up some songs, but Where the Boys Go really sounds to me like the Stones trying to do like a punk, new wave kind of influence song. And it's terrible, but this definitely sounds like, yeah, they're hearing bands like, I don't know, The Knack or something and trying to, you know, kind of do a little bit of that mixed with the Rolling Stones and it's boring and bad so welcome back dj i kept talking i wasn't sure whether i was supposed to or not and figured we just edit around it if not no that's fine um this song is bad that's all it is really terrible all i was telling the listener while you were gone is that this sounds some girls has like the reputation for being a punk album this song to me actually sounds like they were trying to do like a punk new wave song. Uh, yeah, and it's very very bad. Oh, absolutely. It's terrible. Yeah. Um So that's all I have to say about it. I'm glad you had a whole Great. spiel. Skip. I should I should leave more often. <laughs> down in the hole. Yeah. You shouldn't have left me alone with down in the hole. <laughs> yeah. Which is a really, really funny name for a song, and I maybe it's my like immature brain making assumptions, but it's also just, I guess no matter what it's about, it's just a very funny phrase to name a song. And then it also happens to be a really shitty song. Down in the Hole is weird. It's It definitely is not good. I'll, I'll start with saying that. It does have some interesting parts musically to me. Like every time I listen to it, a couple things would stand out here and there. Never enough to make it a good song, but right. It does have some interesting stuff going on, just because they're like doing a lot of, Drugs. I guess, kind of noodling around in the background behind Nick. So yeah, but their tone cool is lines. awful. Like yeah. I hate that. Like. Most guitars in the 80s sounded fucking yeah. terrible. And that the Stones ha- are, have succumbed to that as well. Like those kind of guitar lines, I kind of dig on this song. but They're good, but also I hate the yeah. tone. I yeah. hate it. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, it's just a weird song. Like it's just one of those where I, I don't know what it's supposed to be about. I don't know why they wrote it. Like <laughs> musically, yeah. it's just not that interesting. So. Yeah. So so far the B side is looking pretty rough. It's rough. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah and next very up, interesting that they saved their hit single for track eight. The titular track, Emotional Rescue. Uh, so this one features Ian Stewart and Bobby Keys on the sax here. Uh, this is a Mick composition. He wrote it on electric piano. I take it back. This song rules. This is the best song in the album. You know what? I think I don't have a problem with this song, except that I really just hate that it repeats the bum, bum, bum so many times because that's not a good like hook at all. It's catchy, but it's not good. And so it's very obnoxious to listen to because it's like a you know four-minute song that just has the exact same musical line happening every 20 seconds. 
I don't care. I love the Mick vocal so much, and that's so disco-y. And I also, do, I have I since like watched that Ray Fiennes uh, oh, yeah. scene, and it's nice. amazing. And I just imagine him dancing yeah. in his weird little thing in my mind, yeah. and I love it. I like, I do like mixed vocal. I don't think this does not sound super disco-y to me. Mostly just because the drums are not particularly heavy, which bothers me. Like, I guess when I think of a disco track, I think of like a really, like thumping heavy at least bass drum happening and this is like a weird like kind of tinny computerized drum beat kind of sound and yeah i I think this is what happens when a rock band yeah tries to do like a disco-y type song i mean in terms of uh bands that we've done podcasts about trying to do disco i would rather listen to the beach boys um here comes the night disco remix than this i think I like this. But also, I haven't listened to that since, what, L.A., whenever, wherever that came out. So Right. I like it. I really don't like this song, um, but it was stuck in my head for, like, three days in a row this week, so I guess it's got that going for it. I love that. It's also got a spoken word part that is tongue-in-cheek, I believe, but yeah. very, very bad, even if it's supposed to be bad you know yeah so um next up she's so cold uh the second single as we mentioned uh also has very fun album art back in the day when this wasn't i feel like a thing the stones were doing for every album or single art where it was the rolling stones raspberry lips logo but then like the tongue was frozen oh yeah and it's like kind of cool looking I'll take your word for it. It's also funny because it's like, so that means she was so cold, he got his tongue frozen while eating her out, I assume, is what that album art is trying to say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. She's such a cold-hearted woman that, that even her pussy is. <laughs> um, I actually like really kind of like this song. It's... I really enjoy it. The lyrics are insanely dumb. I think they're supposed to be, but they're still too dumb. <laughs> like, I think the idea is that they're supposed to be like just pretty stupid. Like, no one writes the "I'm the burning volcano" seriously. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I think they get it, but it's also just a little too dumb. It makes it feel like a joke song or like a weird yeah. novelty song more than anything else. Um, but if the lyrics were like anywhere close to decent, I feel like I would like this maybe a little more than uh, "Let Me Go." It's not bad. It's just like once again boring. Like I just don't care no. about it. All right, next up, "All About You." So this is the um, Keith track on the record, uh, written by Keith, and pretty much all. Keith and Ronald Donald doing the instruments. So Keith plays bass, piano, and guitar, and then sings backup vocals with with Ron Wood here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. So this is the one that's supposedly about him, you know, trying to kind of get back into the band and Mick, not not letting him into the fold. Right. Oh God, he's not good at singing, is he? 
No. And this is one this is one where I fully agree on the guitar tone being being really terrible. Yeah. Especially for a song he wrote, like the guitar guy wrote, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he had that quote from like the late sixties or something where he was like, I don't like fuzz guitar. Like I think when we were talking about satisfaction, where he was like, I don't like fuzz guitar usually, so I like wasn't gonna use it for that song. Yeah. And I it is interesting where like after like kind of exile-ish like they have fully just been doing clean guitars i feel like for the whole time here i guess probably on its only rock and roll they did some distortion but um terrible terrible last song to put on it's really boring like a keith ballad is no way to go no (laughs) on any album for them no, it's so. just boring and slow, and he, he. This is the worst he sounded singing yet, I think. Yeah. Yeah, emotional rescue. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think I was expecting much, but it's still just kind of disappointing. Like, it, very similar to some girls, where like mm-hmm. just nothing is standing out. Like all the songs are just fine at best, except. At least some girls had those two stone cold classics of Miss You and Beast of Burden, but Emotional Rescue doesn't, I think, have anything close to that good. No. The best song uh, on here is, yeah, not not even within spitting distance of a, I think, a Rolling Stones best of record, in my opinion. You're absolutely right. Even um, though Emotional Rescue was what I think a number one, no, number three hit, but like it was a pretty big hit, but I personally don't like it at all. So. Yeah, it's uh. It wasn't a good album. Emotional Rescue. What would they say? It's a rough hang, PJ. <laughs> Do you have any I, thoughts about this album overall? Like, I see... I don't even see what they were trying to do. <laughs> like, on think, some terrible albums, yeah. you can kind of see. This is not one of them. This is quite I don't bad. know that they had a thing in their mind. Like, maybe they had a thing in their mind of just kind of trying to, like, modernize their sound, I feel like. Because, like, even their rock songs, kind of like I was talking about on Where the Boys Go, even their rock songs feel like they're trying to, like, do a little bit more. Like, they're doing the clean guitar thing. It seems like they're trying to be, like, a little more maybe new wavy yeah. with their sound there. And then the other stuff is, like, it's not 80s production at all, but it does feel like a no. little more like current production for them oh absolutely um, um, rather than trying to sound like well, a 70s band the so. guitars to me do sound very 80s because there's like yeah. nothing on them what's so. interesting about the stones not that i would have necessarily expected them to do this ever but it's interesting that they kind of aren't doing the like 70s rock band thing of like going totally overboard and like self-involved with their music yeah like, they aren't they aren't making like you know prog epics or they aren't going like even doing like the alan parsons project kind of thing where they're just like so meticulous in the studio creating these like elaborate sounds like they're still pretty bare bones and like slapdash almost but just with like i would say a little bit more current production values but i feel like it it almost hurts them to not go either way like they aren't leaning into like the 70s rock thing or leaning into like being fully modern uh, no, they're like, doing this weird half-ass thing, and it's yeah, 
not good. They're kind of trying to have the best of both worlds, but they're not good enough at either thing anymore for for it to work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Emotional rescue. It's weird. I feel like I'm thinking of my rating now. I feel like it's it's not that bad of an album. Like if you just listen to it to listen to it, it's it's not terrible. But then also literally almost no songs stand out in a way where you would like go back to them. So No. It's like maybe you could you know. put this on and like just do stuff and it wouldn't be like, Ugh, what is this? You know? Yeah. I think maybe a, a three for me. Like I didn't hate listening to it, but just nothing grabbed me. And I don't you know. I w- see three seems low to me. Like I don't love this album. But yeah, four, I, I think, know, is where I'm going. I feel like I think I gave some girls a four, and that has Miss You and Beast of Burden. <laughs> so Yeah. I can't give emotional rescue a four or higher based on the fact that they don't have two of the greatest songs we've heard so far. Right. Um yeah okay you're probably i'm gonna stick with a mm, i'll go three i think you do whatever you want i know you do what you what you feel is right pj you're probably right with the three though so yeah yeah so we'll see it's you know i I don't know maybe there's people who love this as we talked about with some girls there's people who love that album at least maybe there's people who love emotional rescue but i i can't i think there are people who love emotional rescue yeah i don't i think like we said like they just aren't committed strongly enough to anything that I, i feel like that's maybe at this point that's kind of the thing with the rolling stones for me where i i enjoy them most when I feel like they're like energetic and having fun mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and into it. And, and they are not. That doesn't always line up. Like, I feel like I read a couple of reviews of some girls where like reviewers felt like they were, but I didn't get that at least from that album. Yeah. Um. But I guess I'm thinking of like, it's only rock and roll versus like goat's head soup where like, it's only rock and roll, even though like it's maybe not as good of an album it just like it has an energy to it that other ones from that early 70s didn't period didn't or like even yeah. exile versus like sticky fingers where like exile just has so much energy to it whereas even if even when the songs on sticky fingers are good it doesn't feel like they're like as yeah energetic and into it so yeah. definitely some girls in emotional rescue for me like even if the songs seem fine they just don't seem like they give a shit which is rough yeah and that so. that's kind of what the, yeah, I think I completely agree. I think you hit it on the head there. Because, like, my favorite album is Exile, where they were, like, fully invested in that album. Yeah. And I, you know, yeah. and I and think it's just gone down yeah. from there. For sure. So. Yeah. All right. Well, that's been emotional. Because Mick, as we know from everything we know about Mick Jagger, he is definitely the emotional rescue of all of the women he's ever oh. met. <laughs> We all know it, and he's so proud of that fact. Do you think Mick... I think Mick is exactly the personality where anytime any woman he's been with is, like, trying to <laughs> tell him how she's feeling, she finishes, and he just is like, so, do you think... Is this shirt... Should I unbutton another one? Or, like, do you think it's too much chest to show? And she's like, did you hear anything I was saying? And he's like, oh, yes, of course, of course. I was listening the whole time, but this shirt... But the shirt, darling. Yeah. Or should I get it in silk? 
you know, like, and she's yeah. like, oh, okay, <laughs> thanks, Mick. If that's not being in an emotional rescue, I don't know what is. <laughs> Good point. All right, All right PJ. Wolf. I'll see you. See you next week, man. And I'll see you on the other side of that wave. Beach Boys Boys Production.